Welcome to the Ferris Love Shrine podcast, where we share spiritual and practical ideas for how to live family life with a beautiful, self-sacrificing love. In this episode, we're talking with Monica Hinderer, a licensed professional counselor who specializes in helping adolescents. We asked her to join us today to discuss anxiety and your child. Welcome, Monica. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're excited to talk about this. I think this is something that a lot of parents are seeing with their child today, especially, you know, post COVID and all of that kind of stuff. So let's dive in right away and tell us in your you know professional definition, what is anxiety? Yeah, so I would say anxiety is excessive worry that is disproportionate to the event or the stage of development, right? So there are some things, one of the things I want to say, anxiety is normal, okay? We all have it. It's important for all of us to experience it. Our emotions, our experiences, our guides. Sometimes anxiety serves as kind of this alarm system. And at times there it's a little alarm bell that goes off that tells us like, hey, I don't mm. know about that. Don't walk down that dark mm-hmm. alley, right? Okay. Hey, we have a test tomorrow. We should really study, right? And that level of kind of anxiety and worry is proportionate to the threat. There are times where some of us, that alarm system goes from this like little bell that goes off informing us to a fire alarm, right? And it just kind of overwhelms us. So it's that excessive worry. It kind of ticks above that normative range for the experience that you're going through. So then what would you say is the difference then between anxiety and stress, right? Because I think often in our culture, we use the two words kind of I don't know, at the same time or to mean the same thing. And I don't think they necessarily are. Yeah. So stress is essentially what we experience when we've sort of evaluated that the environment or the demand is beyond our ability to deal with it successfully, right? And there's positive stress. That's the stress that's motivating us, right? That's challenging us. And then there's the distress, right? Where we feel overwhelmed with that. Now, That feeling where we sort of see the difference between how do we go from stress to anxiety is um, we're going to feel increasingly overwhelmed to the point of it's starting to impair sort of our functioning. It's going to be far more visceral in our body. And we're going to feel, a lot of us feel we sort of interact with our anxiety a little differently. There's different types um, and ways to interact with that. But it's when the stress sort of becomes, in some ways, almost paralyzing Mm. um, to us. Okay. That makes sense. So for a parent who's looking at their child and they're like, I don't know, maybe it's stress, maybe it's anxiety. I'm not really sure. Or maybe I don't even know. I'm not really sure what's going on with him, her Mm -hmm. right now. What, how can they tell? How can they tell if their child is stressed? How can they tell if their child is anxious? Like what are some of the key indicators? So circling back to what I said earlier about that, uh, it's appropriate or or disproportionate to the developmental. Right. So essentially thinking about, okay, people with anxiety often have disrupted sleep, 
right? They have a very hard time falling asleep or they have a hard time staying asleep. This is the person who lays awake in bed for three hours trying to sleep or the person who's waking up every hour, every two hours, and they're unable to maintain their sleep, Mm -hmm. right? Well, okay, if your 16-year-old is up till 2 a.m., it doesn't necessarily mean that the anxiety is causing that sleep disturbance, right? So we kind of have to be able to see that nuance that teenagers typically have um, a different sleep schedule, right? They tend to stay up later than that's with their circadian rhythm being sort of regulated. So I think it really comes down to that willingness to sort of explore and have that conversation, right? When your kid says like, I didn't fall asleep until 1am. Like, okay, what was that about? Was it because they were laying there trying relentlessly to fall asleep and their mind is running? Or were they just kind of like, I wasn't tired. And they're sort of just like, you know, on their phones or so so to be able to sort of distinguish between that. Um, Mm -hmm. But essentially, right, the anxiety, what you're going to notice is that disrupted sleep. Some people have a disrupted, um, disrupted eating habits, right? Because anxiety manifests itself physically, right? So this is going to be when we're feeling overly stressed, right? When that that anxiety is increasing, some are going to have a headache. Some are going to have a stomach ache. Some are going to feel very shaky or restless. Some, it might disturb their sleep, right? Um, This is kind of the typical feeling on edge, um, that kind of hypervigilance. And it's going to manifest sort of physically. So that's one of the ways you're going to see it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like though a lot of these things could also be caused by other things, right? So sleep, the kid drank a monster before thinking they needed to stay up and then suddenly it's, you know, 3am and they're still awake because they drank that energy drink or they have a headache because whatever, there's a lot of humidity and the pressure is high mm-hmm. in the environment. So how can parents then like look at all of these factors and how do they then decide like, okay, Maybe we need to seek professional help. Maybe I need to Mm -hmm. step in and we need to have some really good conversations about stress management and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Like, how do they figure that out? Yeah. So I I would say you can take your kid to therapy when they ask for it. Uh, It's it's really interesting to me because because of how common mental health is now and that conversation, how normalized it is, kids will ask. They will ask. I have a lot of kids who asked to be in therapy. Um, And it was really the parents who were pretty resistant to it, right? So it wasn't, I don't know what's wrong. The kid is saying, like, I need help, right? So that's one thing, right? If your kid is asking, what that says is that there's a genuine concern here. The kid is genuinely concerned. Um, And I would say the other thing is if you're noticing that it's impairing daily functioning, right? So, your kid starts falling behind in school because they're so anxious that they're not sleeping and then they can't focus throughout the day. And then, you know, they're falling behind in their classes because they can't concentrate because their mind is racing or they're starting to have panic attacks. I would say that if it's impairing daily functioning, if it's limiting their experiences and their interactions with their peers, with their school setting, that's when you should probably go get professional help. To your point, right, what can parents do? I think there should always be that constant conversation with checking in on them, what's going on. Hey, do you think it could be related to the fact that, you know, you had an energy drink 
you know, at 9 p.m. Maybe that's why you weren't able to sleep, right? Um, and so kind of sort of helping them see the um, how their life choices also impact their mental health. Because I think one of the things that's really important is that we can't separate the body, mind, and soul, right? Mm -hmm. And so when one is deficient in some way, it's going to impact the other domains. And so we really want to support that spiritual health. We want to support that physical health and that mental and emotional health. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. Um, I wonder too, Monica, if you can, for us kind of, peel back the curtain a little bit. So let's say a parent is like, okay, you know what? Clearly this anxiety is impairing my child from being able to function normally. What, however that manifests falling behind in school, really just not sleeping or whatever kind of insomnia style or whatnot, constant headaches. Um, what, what then does therapy look like for this child? Like what, you know, peel back the curtain a little bit. Cause I think that's often what parents are worried about. Cause they're not in the room. Hmm with their child and the therapist. Yeah. So I can understand how, you know, if you're sending a 12 year old to go talk to a stranger, Mm -hmm. you know, basically that can be really unnerving. Yeah. I would say that most of my clients, their parents are incredibly apprehensive. Mm -hmm. Um, And I create space for that. That's okay. You shouldn't trust me right away. Who am I? You don't know me, right? That's normal, right? That's very normal. So I actually have a lot of parents and I encourage them. They do um, a consultation first. So they they meet with me. Who are you? What are your practices? What are your beliefs? What is your method, right? And I so I think that that's 100% in the parent's right to do that um, because you are the primary educator of your children. And I tell my parents all the time, you will know your child better than I will ever know your child, even though they're telling me a lot and and I'm working with them very closely. Um, You know your child, right? And so it's normal to be protective. It's normal to be um, reserved. I think currently psychology, there's a lot of distrust with psychology right now. And I think to some degree, rightfully so. And so it's okay to do your due diligence in researching the therapist your child is going to see and asking questions and requesting parent sessions um, and to sort of be in the loop um, as much as you're you're able to without impairing right the work with the child. So that's typically how it starts. I typically meet with parents first and we just sort of explore what is therapy? What are their fears, concerns? What questions do they have about me and about therapy in general? And then when working with the kid, a lot of it is going to be sort of developing those coping skills, right? Those strategies on how do I recognize when I'm stressed? How do I recognize taking care of my physical health and mental health, um, spiritual health, if they so like bring that into the room? Um, because I think when we talked about the difference between stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. we we increase into anxiety when the demand is higher than our skill set, right? That like know how to handle this. And so that can manifest socially, right? These kids are like, I don't, I don't know how to interact with my peers. And I don't, I don't know how to answer questions. And, and I feel scared or embarrassed. And, and so if the demand feels so much more than our skill set. And so my job is to give you that skill set, right? And that's the skill set in managing the feelings and the symptoms. And then also building your skills and abilities to interact 
socially or to handle the academic pressures or to communicate with family, peers, friends, right? Um, So that's really what it looks like. It's kind of, we kind of attack it from all angles. We manage the symptoms. We increase the skill sets. We work on um, emotions, recognizing emotions, how to tell what I feel, how to know what to do when I like, okay, so I feel sad. Now what? Right. Um, And so it's really kind of, it's sort of, it's it's really all encompassing. Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense. Um, Kind of sticking with this, thread here for a second. I imagine there's also too, you know, you said a lot of parents are kind of, you know, apprehensive about their child going to therapy. I would imagine there's a little bit of a stigma or a little bit for some parents is feeling that like, if my child needs therapy, even for something like anxiety, um, I must be doing something wrong as a parent, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm like, I don't know if you see that or if that's the case. Yeah. Um, definitely. I think I, what I hear a lot since I also work in um, a faith-based practice is um, particularly Christian or Catholic parents want their child to see a priest or a minister first, mm-hmm. um, thinking that it's the same and it feels safer to them to handle that, to handle it that way. Parents often have to grapple with feeling inadequate, right? And so that's something that like, you know, if you're concerned with your kid, but you're kind of resistant or hesitant to maybe that next step, one of those, one of the challenges in that is to take a step back and to say, okay, well, what feelings and emotions is this bringing up for me? What are my fears in this? Um, And I think that just because your child is exhibiting a need or a demand that you don't have the skill set for, doesn't mean you're a bad parent. In fact, I think a very good parent is the one that is willing to grow and learn through their child's needs, right? And so you, let's say you have a child who's deaf, you're not a bad parent because you don't know sign language, right? right. Child is presenting a need and that that sign of a parent who is a good fit, who's working really hard is going to rise to that need and say, okay, we're going to take, we're going to take some sign language classes. We're going to work on um, you know, different communication styles and skills. And so it's the same, it's the same with mental health, right? That you did not necessarily do anything wrong, right? Sometimes parents feel like, is this my fault? What did I do? How did I not see this? I should be able to handle this, right? Um, and sometimes it's okay to say, the best thing is that I find someone who's going to help my child and help me, right? And so a good therapist, in my opinion, a good adolescent therapist is also going to have those parents in the session every now and then, right? They're also going to have parenting um, kind of tips and tricks for them. How do you, how do you handle this at home? Great. I, that's perfect segue into my next question, which is what are some of the tools and techniques that parents can use to help their child who is experiencing anxiety? What what are some things that they can do at home to really help aid this process? Yeah, so I would say um, being curious, right? I always invite parents to be curious instead of critical, right? So instead of saying something like, well, why couldn't you sleep, right? Which kind of comes across as a little critical or a little demanding, substituting that for, well, what was keeping you awake, Right. Because it's we're shifting that focus from you, you're the problem, what's wrong, what's happening, to, well, what's going on, and that it's something else, right? So it's you and your child against the anxiety, right? Not, 
you against your child because they're anxious, right? They are not the embodiment of anxiety. They're experiencing it. Um, So I think keeping that in mind is really important. Um, And then really being able to, because kids have a very hard time seeing consequences to actions, right? They are very impulsive. This is normal and natural part of their development. It's helpful to set limits for them, right? And to sort of the limits, actually, the limits, the rules, the restrictions, these kind of guides actually help them live more freely because they're, they're learning what is good for them. They're learning how to choose that goodness. And so um, limiting screen time, I think is really important limiting the type of social media that they're on um, because you don't want them on their phones until 2 a.m. You don't want them mindlessly scrolling through TikTok and um, Instagram because, A, we don't know what they're seeing, but B, there's also, there's an importance in not always being stimulated, right? Mm -hmm. Our mind needs to rest. And when it doesn't rest and it's constantly in this um, go, go, go state, mm-hmm. it's going to be very uncomfortable for them to, to self-regulate, right? So um, family time. Family time is really important. Have family dinner, right? That there's this place for the kids to um, detach from the rest of the world, right? That's important. That's something that we're not seeing with the increase in social media and our phones and like kids never really have an opportunity to detach from their friends, which is, which is important. And so to be able to sort of have that separation. Um, so quiet time, right? Really encouraging quiet time and stillness. It's important for us to learn how to be still and how to be in silence. Um, mm-hmm. I would say a really big thing with anxiety is daily exercise, mm. uh, minimum 20 minutes a day. What I will say, the caveat to that, because I get a lot of pushback from, from my kiddos, what I mean by exercise is the intentional movement of your body. And how you so choose to do that is, is, is yours, right? Some of us are going to need a more intense and kind of a more rigorous exercise to really kind of get back in tune with our bodies and shake off the stress and the feelings for the day. Other people are going to want a nice walk. Some people are going to want to like put music on and just like dance for like Mm -hmm. all out. Great. Whatever you choose. And I think because anxiety manifests physically, because it's so visceral in our bodies, it's really important to move our body. It's really important to get that energy out in a healthy and productive way instead of letting it manifest through, you know, the racing thoughts, the headache, the stomach ache, the shakiness. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I love all these because these are all very kind of practical, realistic things that parents can do. You know, even even getting your child out and going for a walk, like you could do that together. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need to start, you know, moving in that direction, and that would also probably help the parent as well, right? Like, okay, we're going to go for a walk around the block. You know, we're going to do that together in the evenings. It gives you a chance to talk with your child. It gives you both a chance to move your bodies. Like that kind of a thing could be really good, right? The other thing I would say is that. Sometimes when we're experiencing an, an issue, mm-hmm. it takes center stage. Sure. Only your child's anxiety is the only topic of conversation. Mm. It's the only thing we're seeing. And one of the things that I think is really important is to not lose sight of the person mm-hmm. in the struggle. And so, okay, go for a walk, but don't talk about the anxiety and don't talk mm-hmm. about the day 
right? Sure. Reconnect with them on a deeper level, right? Sure. I think sometimes kids can feel very pressured. Also, anxiety sometimes doesn't have an initial cause, right? Mm. It kind of sometimes just like pops up. And because the feeling shows up in our body, because my stomach maybe turns a little bit and then your head goes, hey, last time this happened, something was wrong. Something's wrong again. And then we're like, something's wrong? What do you mean? And then anxiety becomes the worry of worry. So now I'm worrying that I'm worrying and we spiral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay to not know. <clears throat> it's okay to not know or to not need the answer for what is causing this necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that might take a really long time to unpack and it can become frustrating for children, uh, for all of us really, when someone says, what's wrong? And we say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Very out of control. We feel feel very disempowered. And right. so um, it's okay to sometimes not ask, right? It's okay to say, you know, you can come to me with anything, right? And then that child gets to freely choose to access you. That child gets to freely choose to come to you. Then that's what you want. You want this idea I tell parents all the time. How do we open the door without pushing them through, Right be more meaningful for them to walk through that door and to say, Hey mom, Hey dad, can I talk to you about something? Right. And for you to receive whatever they're saying very openly, but to not, right. Because we don't want them to feel ashamed or embarrassed or, and because even if they have done something or said something or experienced something, right. That is going to be shocking or difficult or frustrating or whatever. That's maybe causing the anxiety or what have you. You want, you want to be the person they come to, right? And if they feel pushed or judged or criticized, they're going to go to friends. They're going to go to teachers. They're going to go to, and so part of that is like, yeah, go for a walk, right? Open that door, but it's okay to talk about other things. It's okay to defer your curiosity in that and be like, well, I want to know what's wrong and I want to fix it, right? That drive to fix, to be able to suspend that temporarily, right? Some kids- Anxiety, oftentimes, since our mind is racing, journaling can be so helpful because when I put paper, when I put a pen to paper and I have to write things out, I have to slow my mind down because we cannot write as fast as we think. And so mm-hmm. it automatically slows your child down, right? And so right. you can encourage them to journal about it, right? They come home, they're really anxious. I had a really bad day our desire as a parent might be to be like, well, tell me why, what's going on? How can I fix it? Boom, boom, boom. This onslaught of questions. And that's coming from a very good place. However, if they're still in this kind of elevated state, right. it's not going to be as productive. And so mm-hmm. it's a simple, well, what do you think we could do? What do we think you, we could do to feel a little better? You could go for a walk. And then we offer suggestions, right? So we're guiding them in a direction that helps them choose a healthy a lot of times kids are going to want to check out we all like to check out as adults it might be we get home from a long day and we turn on an episode of a tv show and pour ourselves a glass of wine and we're checking out mm-hmm. and that's good short term but it doesn't fix anything long term mm-hmm. right kids are going to do that but they're going to go on their phones right they're going to go on their phones or they're going to ignore and that's maybe okay short term but it's not fixing anything and depending on where what sites they're on it might actually increase some of the anxiety and discomfort um so prompting them to it might be a really good idea to kind of journal about the day and kind of what happened and like get it out 
let out like what happened in your day and maybe it wasn't great and maybe your kid's being bullied or maybe they're having a hard time academically or maybe they're just feeling uncomfortable for whatever reason. Journal about it, right? Let, let's get it out. I love that. And what I like what I'm hearing you say is really the parent's role is kind of providing that that unconditional love that they are already feel or really providing that to the child, making them understand that unconditional love. Cause I think sometimes kids know it, but don't necessarily like understand it, mm-hmm. but then also giving them that support, but not fixing it for them or trying mm-hmm. to fix it for them. Right. Like guiding them along the way, giving them some options and solutions to try to work at it. But I think too, this also I'm sure helps them make really good like choices now that are going to impact them long-term, right? Like they're learning now how to make good choices for later when they're an adult and suddenly anxiety comes back and they're feeling that very acutely. If they don't have those tools because mom and dad fixed it or seem to fix it at the moment, right? They're not going to be able to cope as well later on too. So I think that's, you know, really good what you're saying and important. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I think parents... Um, questions with like curiosity, seeking to understand before we fix it, right? How often do we go to our partner and we complain about the day and then they try to fix it and we're like, could you just listen to me? Like, I just need someone to hear me right now and not jump to the solution right away. Not jump to, your kids are the same. They're the same, right? And um, because those are shared human experiences. And to be able to say, to be able to ask questions with like curiosity, right? not jumping to conclusions, some things like don't have an immediate solution. Some things are really hard life lessons that are going to hurt your kids that they need to learn. And like that hurts and it's okay. Right. To say like, yeah, that's okay. That, you know, you were starting on your sports team and now you're benched and because that's hard. Okay. Maybe we can work a little harder in practice. Maybe we can do this or that, but like, yeah, sometimes that kind of that feeling of like rejection or being hurt is a human experience and Mm -hmm. important to teach our kids like resilience, right? It's important to let them choose how to access that because we're guiding them. It's like when we say to our toddler, the toddler says, I'm hungry. Okay, they want a snack, right? And so you give them two options. Well, you can have the apple or the banana because you want them to have a healthy snack. You know that that's what's important to them, but you're giving them the opportunity to choose, right? They're learning to exercise that choice. It's the same with our adolescents. Well, I think it would be a really good idea for you to exercise or to journal or to take some quiet time. What do you think? What do you think you should do? Um, And so I think the other thing we want to help guide them through that going to a therapist can help you navigate which tools and techniques are most effective for your child because we're all different. But one of the things we want to be careful of is that we also don't ignore or dismiss that this is happening. Like, oh, well, this too shall pass. Maybe it might pass. The environment might change. And then, you know, let's say your kid's out of school and they're being bullied. So we switch schools and they're not being bullied anymore. And so the stress and anxiety is gone. Okay. For now, until later in life when somebody reminds them of those early bullies and we didn't really develop healthy coping skills. We didn't really process that experience. And now that anxiety, the fear, the insecurity, it's all coming back. And so I think therapy doesn't have to be this, Oh, well, we'll fix everything. 
oh, well, something's broken. Oh, well, you have a problem. I think it can be seen as very proactive, very preventative, very, we are as therapists equipping you and your child with really healthy skills so that later in life, you have the skills to access, right? So that you have that muscle memory so that you have, and so it can be really, yes, like healing and restorative, but also positive and preventative. Mm -hmm. I love this. I love all of this. Um, We're almost hitting our 30 minutes um, timeframe, but there's so much more that I want to talk to you about. So we'll definitely need to do a second episode because I would love to see trends that you are seeing in your practice and some of the major triggers um, or causes, I guess, of all of this anxiety. Um, But for now, Monica, where can people find you if they're looking for more information about Mm -hmm. you and your practice? Yeah. So I work for Vita Optimum. It's a counseling and consulting agency in Chicago. So you can always, you can go to the website um, and find my contact information there. Um, If you have questions, I'm happy to, um, I'm happy to, you know, correspond um, via email and figure that out. Um, I think one of the things a lot of times people don't realize is that the therapists are regulated to the state in which they practice. So I can only see people in Illinois. The caveat to that is as a consultant, I can see anyone from anywhere. And so a lot of times I do have parents from other states call, hire me as a consultant to, to navigate maybe a particular parenting situation that's going on. So it's not exactly therapy, but that those are always options too, that if we're not, sometimes parents aren't entirely ready. I have this, I have this client who I think their parent met with one of our therapists for like two months because they had to be convinced that their child needed therapy. And I think that, I think that's fine. And I, I think that's beautiful actually, that they cared enough, that they were worried enough that they were going to go to therapy themselves to navigate and work through these problems and concerns to feel safe enough to entrust their child to somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, if that's what you need to do, if you need to just talk to a therapist to navigate that first, to help be the best version, be the best parent, be the best um, version of yourself. I think that's also a beautiful option. I, that sounds great. And what, yeah, what a beautiful thing, testament for the parent to do mm-hmm. to like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to work on this first. I'm going to make sure this is good to make sure that this, this is the best for my child. That's beautiful. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ferris Love Shrine podcast. If you enjoyed it, we'd love for you to visit us at ferrisloveshrine.org, follow us on social media and share the podcast.